Be joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with a song. Why do we worship? What draws us here? This cannot be neatly packaged. It's just too immense and complicated a subject. But here are some thoughts. Why do we come? Well, there are lots of reasons. Some come out of habit. That's what I do on Sunday mornings. Some come out of need. I need to be with others, with the Christian community. Some come to remember who we are, beloved children of God. Some come to hear a word of hope and to be nourished at the Lord's table. Some come for some other reason or for all of these reasons together. Each time we gather for worship, we form the Christian community anew. When we gather for worship, we pray, sing, and listen together. Yes, a person can pray on the golf course, but Christians need to pray together on a regular basis because we are nurtured and formed as Christian people by our corporate prayer and worship. Presbyterian pastor Frederick Beekner reminds us that to worship God means to serve God. Basically, there are two ways to do it. One way is to do things for God that God needs to have done. Run errands for God, carry messages for God, fight on God's side, feed God's lambs, and so on. The other way is to do things for God that you need to do. Sing songs for God, create beautiful things for God, give things up for God. Tell God what's on your mind and in your heart. In general, rejoice in God and make a fool of yourself for God, the way lovers have always made fools of themselves for the ones they love. I put this quote in the announcement section of the bulletin in the hopes that you'll take it home and ponder it a little because it's really good. For Anglicans, worship combines a sense of order and tradition with a degree of freedom and spontaneity. For any worship to be authentic, there must be a deep connection between worship and the mission of the church, that what we do on Sunday influences the rest of the week, and what we experience in our lives is brought each week with us as we come to worship. Since earliest times, Christians have gathered on Sunday, the Lord's Day, to celebrate Christ's resurrection. In the Roman Empire, Sunday was a work day, and so Christians usually gathered at the break of day before work began, or in the evening when work was over. Christians came together on the day of the sun to give thanks to God for the gift of life. The earliest Christians worshipped in their homes. They used whatever table was available with or, and ordinary cups and bowls and baskets for their celebrations, which resembled family gatherings. After Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, the church grew rapidly and needed new spaces. Roman basilicas, large public buildings, were appropriated for use by the church. These were rectangular spaces with an apse. We have an apse. This rounded end is an apse. Okay? At each end. 
Christian worship does not require any special sort of building. Through the centuries, the Holy Eucharist has been celebrated in great cathedrals, but also in dining rooms, hospitals, and prisons, on the hood of army jeeps, and in open fields. At the same time, the buildings used by the church have reflected attitudes about the nature and worship of the church. As an institution, the church is slow to change, and so Christians today may find themselves worshiping in buildings that reflect a way of thinking we may no longer share. Think of those long, skinny churches with rows and rows of pews. We call that the airplane mode at seminary. For example, at one time, only the holiest people, ordained men and boys who would become ordained men, would have sat in the area surrounding the altar. Women could enter only during non-worship times to dust and clean. My very first visit to an Episcopal church was in Virginia City, Nevada, and I was a Presbyterian in this, those days, and we had been at camp, and we, for some reason, had gone on some, this excursion, and there was a woman vacuuming in the, around the altar wearing a hat, which I thought was very odd that she should be wearing a hat and vacuuming. I didn't know anything then. Now I know why. <laughs> so, those assisting with worship, the choir, in a think of a traditional Episcopal church with a divided chancel, with the, so the altars over there, the choir would sit here, and the rest of us would sit here, okay? So the choir would sit in the next holiest place. Remember that choirs were traditionally made up of men and boys, Mixed choirs are a very recent innovation. And finally, the rest of us populated the nave, the main body of the church. And when slavery was part of our land, there was another section, the balcony for the slaves. We think of ourselves differently now. While some of us have been set apart to fulfill certain functions in the community, we all work together as we worship. Your presence and participation are, as, are a necessary and essential part of our worship. As a priest, I am not allowed to celebrate the Eucharist alone. There must always be at least one other person present. We are in this together. While Christian worship does not require a special building, Christian people through the centuries have created unique and wonderful buildings to express their faith. In many towns, the church steeple can be seen from miles around, marking the center of the people's corporate life. The steeple is often four-sided, reminding us that the church draws people from the four corners of the earth towards God's kingdom, or eight-sided to reflect the resurrection as the eighth day of creation, pointing the way to a new way of thinking. In this church building, as in many others, the altar was originally against the wall. Now it has been moved out so that we can gather around it together. Some buildings, in some buildings we would find it right in the middle of the worship space with the pews or seating arranged around it. The baptismal font is near the door, reminding us that baptism marks the beginning of the Christian life. 
and God's word is read and the sermon preached from the ambo, a reading desk, or as the case in this church, from a lectern and pulpit. But often you'll see the pulpit elevated above the people. This is much nicer, trust me on that one. Pews and benches were very late additions to liturgical furniture. Even after the Reformation, many church buildings had seated, seating only for the aged and infirm. Everyone else stood. If you go to a Russian Orthodox church, it's, that's still the pattern today. It was only as sermons grew longer and longer and longer <coughs> that seating was needed for everyone. And until the late 19th century, most Episcopalians paid pew rent, and every family had their own pew, usually with high sides and doors. The poor sat in the balcony. Many of the furnishings of our buildings tell part of the Christian story. The narthex, or vestibule, serves as a transition space between the world and the worship space. Baptismal fonts often have eight sides representing the new creation and ours is even stone to remind us that Moses struck the rock and water poured out. Stained glass windows often serve to tell the story of salvation. Vestments and hangings reflect the colors of the liturgical year. The vessels we use for worship are made of beautifully designed metal and the linens we use are carefully made and lovingly cared for. Whether the house for the church is a grand cathedral or a plain country chapel, the furnishings rich or plain, the music grand or simple or non-existent, the liturgy is a vehicle for our encounter with the living God. That encounter with mystery and the deep things of life takes us beyond ourselves into uncharted territory, perhaps even into the kingdom of anxiety. Remembering that, I offer you finally a quote from writer Annie Dillard. She says, It is madness to wear ladies' hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may awake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. Amen.